Radio advertising is good. Why should you advertise on the Tan Talk Radio Network, AM 1340? Well, it's simple. We are a local radio station with local shows that target our local communities and local listeners. We have a variety of shows that cover a multitude of informative and interesting topics, such as automotive and boating, real estate and finance, health and medical, politics and law, sports and fishing, pet care, and more. Why, we are even home to Imus in the Morning. We also have shows about comedy, food and dining, religion, fashion, local community events and activities, and a variety of music. Talk radio provides a listening format that appeals to a large cross-section of people. Whether you are in your car, at work, at home, everyone has a radio. And we are streamed live on the Internet. And past shows are podcasted so you, the listener, can play back your favorite shows over and over again. The possibilities are endless. So that, my listeners, is why you should advertise on the Tam Talk Radio Network, AM 1340. Listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Let me tell you about my company, Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc. 727-541-1741. I have over 35 years experience with classic, vintage sport and racing cars. I do appraisals, consulting, and pre-purchase inspections. Before you buy your next rare classic, the car of your dreams, give me a call at Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc. 727-541-1741. Also, due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I am very good with wrecks. So if your car has been in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call me at 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for lost value of your repaired vehicle. That's Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc., 727-541-1741. And be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, Wednesdays, 7 to 8 p.m. on the Tantalk Radio Network, AM 1340. If you like golf, enjoy affordable golf at Magnolia Valley Golf Club, located on Massachusetts Avenue in Newport Ritchie. Play for as little as $15 after 2 p.m. The club has two beautiful courses to choose from, an 18-hole championship par 72 plus another nine-hole executive par 33. Join their open leagues on Wednesday afternoons at 4 and Sunday mornings at 8. Call 727-847-2342 for tee times or visit their website, magnoliavalleygolfclub.com. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Okay, listeners, you are tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Welcome to the show, everybody. Tonight, we got a great show. Matter of fact, we got a spectacular show. And as usual, we will be playing some groovy 60s, 70s music. Lee, how are you doing tonight? Very well, Robert. How are you? Oh, yeah. Boy, I had a, I had a great weekend. I have to tell you about some of the upcoming events. And um, But anyway, so I want to make sure everybody's got their radio tuned in to AM 1340. Okay, that's Tantalk Radio Network. And your computer is set on Tantalk1340.com. That's Tan, T-A-N, Talk1340.com. We are streamed live around the world, okay? And you can email us at golfstreamradio at gmail.com. That's golfstreamradio at gmail.com. And, of course, if you've missed any of the previous shows, you can always tune into our podcast. Okay, you can go to our homepage, WTAN1340, and go to our podcast, right? Hey, what do we got tuned up on the uh Record player tonight. Well, we've got Mother Freedom from a group called Bread. Oh, that was a that was a real chicks band back in the seventies. Remember them? 
I do remember these guys. Yeah. They were uh, Baby I'm a Want You, which yeah. I, I still can't figure out what the heck that means, but uh, I, I, I guess I get the answer. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Baby I'm a Want You. Plus, he wants her. Baby, I'm a wannabe. I don't oh, know. What does it mean? He wants know. her, right. Uh, yeah, you know, he wants to go out with her. I think he was a little messed up. when he, He's probably, he wanted you know, a little bit when, <laughs> <All right. laughs> when he wrote that one, you know? Yeah, right. All right. Fire that uh, A-track up. Matter of fact, I have the A-track. It's the best yeah. of bread. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm going to bring it in one day. Yeah. Thing is, it takes about, you know, 15 minutes to uh, get to the song you want. Right? You got it. And there's no pause button. There's no, no, there's pause no pause. No, just a clicker. Yeah. Okay, you ready? Yep, I'm ready. Listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I'd like to tell you about Naughty Nancy. No, this isn't a story about a bad girl. This is a truth about a great place to eat and hang out. Naughty Nancy's Food Shack, located at 700 Eldridge Street in the downtown Clearwater area, is a quaint little place nestled under some huge oak trees serving great food and drink and a wonderful, friendly atmosphere. That's Naughty Nancy's, 727-446-3717. They have 10 daily specials as well as many different styles of cooking from Cajun, New England, Country, Gourmet, and even Short Order. Prepared just the way you want it. So check out this groovy little dew drop in right on the trail. So jog up to her front door, ride up on your bicycle, drive up in your car, or pull up on your motorcycle. And visit my friend Nancy and place your order. 
That's Naughty Nancy, 727-446-3717. Hey, mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you might get a free drink. Hey, listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I'd like to tell you about a great pizza shop right here in downtown Clearwater, Bro's Pizzeria, voted number one in the city of Clearwater. They're located at 547 South Fort Harrison Avenue. They have great New York-style pizza, as well as delicious lasagna, spaghetti and meatballs, manicotti, linguine. And if you're in the neighborhood for lunch, they have great hot and cold sandwiches and appetizers. So call 727-441-6025 for takeout and deliveries, or stop by for a veal parmesan dinner and a nice glass of vino. That's Bro's Pizzeria. Check out their website and watch my friend Olti create a spectacular pizza before your very eyes. What would you like on your pizza? Call Bro's Pizzeria, 727-441-6025. That's 727-441-6025. And tell them Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Okay, we're back. And uh, in case you just tuned in, this is Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And you can uh, see us live at tantalk1340.com. Or you can email us at uh, golfstreamradio at at gmail.com. Anyway, all right. Let's see. Let's go to, uh, before we get to our guest, our really cool guest is going to be calling in here shortly. Let me give you a rundown of what's coming up here this, uh, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, November 19th through the 21st, Moultrie, Georgia, huge swap meet, car show. That's great. Super. Okay. November 20th, we got Knights of Fire at the Orlando Motorsports uh, thingy there. All right. Let me be specific here. At the Speed World Dragway in Orlando. As a matter of fact, we had our guest on here a couple weeks ago. It was uh, Casey Jones Racing. We had Paul Kelly on the air. He was actually live in the studio in KC. We talked to him for a while. So if you guys want to see some flaming dragsters, you know, some jet-powered dragsters, be sure and do that. That's this weekend. That's at the Speed World Dragway, Knights of Fire, this weekend in Orlando. It's actually Bithalo, which is the east side of, uh, of Orlando, okay? November 21st at San Armand Circle, Shelby's and Mustangs, all over the place, probably some AC Cobras. November 25th through the 28th, we got the Turkey Rod Run at Daytona. Again, for all you gearheads into... Cars, car shows, swap meets. Uh, if you're parts junkies like me, it's a great place to hang out. Now, the big deal is December 3rd through the 5th. Okay, this is the show we're going to be talking about here a little bit later on the show. Legends of Motorsports at Sebring, Florida. Okay, now all you guys, all you listeners know that I'm real big into vintage racing and I'm a big proponent of old style racing. Uh, road racing, I'm a huge fan of. Anyway, so if you've ever wanted to see some spectacular, high end, first class, Race cars, vintage race cars. We're talking GT40s. We're talking Lolas. We're talking Porsches. We're talking Jaguars. Uh, there's just an amazing collection. Ferraris, uh, Cobras, um, cars with real, true history. These are cars that ran the most famous racetracks in the world. We're talking Daytona. We're talking Le Mans. We're talking Sebring, of course. We're talking Riverside. We're talking Watkins Glen. We're talking the best road race courses in the country. Elkhart Lake, which is uh, Road America, Mid-Ohio. So for all you racing fans or you guys that have an interest in racing and you want to get up close and personal, this is just like back in the old days. This is like back in the 60s and 70s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, where you could just get right into the pit area without a lot of problem because they had kind of like open pits back in those days, unless we were actually on the racetrack themselves. The pits were along the side of the racetrack with it. But they basically had pits out in the infield or in the racing uh, paddock, basically. And you can get right up to these guys, you can talk to them, and you can interact with them. You can see the cars, you can feel them, touch them, and take photographs. I mean, it's just an it's a spectacular event. Now, there's other racing organizations out there. There's HSR, there's SVRA, all right? But this, this is a new one. This is the Bobby Ray Hall 
spectacular, so to speak. It's his signature race. He's behind this. And Bobby Rahal is going to be our featured guest this evening, okay? I was going to wait. I was going to surprise you all, but I'm excited. So uh, this is a great venue. This is December 3rd to the 5th at Sebring. As a matter of fact, if I could get a busload of people to go down there, I'd do it, okay? Also on December 9th through the 11th is the PRI show in Orlando. December 11th, which is in uh, uh, on Sunday, St. Armand Circle is Porsches in the Park. And that pretty much covers all the uh, upcoming events. Um, also, don't forget that this is Wednesday. It's uh, open mic night at Naughty Nancy's. That's our local watering hole. Lee's going to be over there strumming the guitar, and I'm going to be, I don't know, standing there humming, I guess, or beating on a tambourine or something. And I want to say hi to my friends out at Sunshine Drag Strip. Uh, that's Hazley Hood, Sherry, and Mike down there. It's, uh, what is it, Testing 2 night on Wednesdays at Sunshine Drag Strip, okay? Hey, I got through that pretty quick this time. Um, hey, Lee, you know what I did over the weekend? Remember I was talking about uh, Brian Johnson appearing at the, the Irish Rover Pub, and uh, he's doing a benefit concert down there in, in Sarasota? Mm-hmm. Well, I went to that, and I got to tell you, the guy's 63 years old. Okay, he was shrouded and guarded with personal guards, you know, bodyguards and all kinds of stuff. You really couldn't get up close to him, even though I've met him on a number of occasions, and a super nice guy. But when he got up on the stage with the Greg Billings Band, he was jumping. You thought this was 1981, and he was jumping around up on the stage. And those, and he calls it his uh, Brian Johnson support band or ACDC support band. You, if 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 you were if you're standing 20 feet away and you hadn't looked at the stage, you would know it wasn't ACDC. They did such a spectacular job. Uh, Greg Billings, you know, stranger used to be a stranger, um, spectacular. And then I met this really really cool guy there. They had this one guy. His name was Don the Donald Duck Dunn. He was the other half of Booker T's and the MGs. It was two black guys and two white guys. This was the bass player. The guy's probably in his late 70s. I don't know. It doesn't really matter how old he is, but he's up there. He, and he was also in the Blues Brothers thing. He got up there, and when he fired up that bass guitar, it was incredible. I mean, he was up there rocking and jamming with, with Brian Johnson, with Greg Billings. He went up a couple times on stage. Super spectacular performance. So uh, that was definitely worth it, and that was uh, definitely an event to remember there. Well worth the money. And uh, let's see what else we got going on. Okay. Uh, and then also, I went to uh, Bug Jam. Bug Jam was really good. Had a big turnout there. And, of course, I went to uh, Orlando, or, or Lampa, actually. And I went to the uh, Fantasy of Flight Roar and Soar weekend. And that was amazing. They had some vintage race boats there. They had the vintage airplanes, vintage cars. But the most interesting guy I met there was a guy by the name of Ken Warby. He's the only living person left. And he's up in age. He's probably in his 70s, I guess. But just a tough guy. He's Australian. He has the world speed record for the fastest boat on the planet. So, in other words, you know how they have the um, uh, land speed record, like the uh, uh, up in Bonneville Salt Flats? Well, this gentleman has set the record for the fastest boat, and it's over 317 miles an hour. So, we're going to try to get Ken Warby on the air one day. We're going to interview him. Okay? Lee's giving me a thumbs up. That means we have our our. Special guest. All right, let me do this. Let me introduce, let me uh, tell you a little bit about this gentleman. Uh, he's well known in the racing world. Okay, both here in the United States and worldwide. Okay, uh, like many racers, he was inspired by his father. He's been racing since the seventies. He has quite an accomplished career. Three-time kart champion, nineteen eighty-six Indy five hundred winner, team owner, and the co-founder of a new vintage race organization, Legends of Motorsports. I want to welcome to the show Bobby Rahal. Well, thanks very much. Pleasure to be with you tonight. Thank you very much for calling. I mean, I'm really excited. I told everybody and their brother that you were going to call in, and this is—I uh, <laughs> I probably have more listeners tonight 
than I've ever had, and that's that's great. And I, and I owe it to Uh-oh. you. That's good to hear. I hope so. I hope so. And I've been pushing the event because I'm a big vintage car fan, uh, especially vintage racing, because I used to be a former member. Well, I still am. I HSR and SVRA. So now your organization uh-huh. is like the creme de la creme. Of well, vin- I think we're, you know, we're, 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 I mean, those are all both great organizations. I've raced in HSR and in SVRA over the years. Uh, I just think we're trying to be a little different. Um, and, uh, but it's, you know, I, obviously there's a, a, a mutual love for these great cars and, and the histories that come with them. Uh, so it's, uh, it's really, it's really fun to be involved in this uh, new series. Now, I met you at Daytona the first time. I think it might have been t- probably within the last five or six or seven years, maybe a little longer than that. And you were driving a GT40 back then. Right. And, uh, I think, uh, you were over there and I was talking to you and I was talking to, uh, Steve McQueen's son, Chad. Oh, that's and, correct. That's and right. uh, there was a, it was a, it was a pretty good venue then. And uh, so, do you still have that GT40 by any chance? Well, you, that's a sore subject. That's a sore subject. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. And I talk about making a major mistake when I sold it. Uh, you know, it seemed like the thing to do at the time. But uh, you know, boy, I wish I had the car back. It was a fabulous car. Had a tremendous history and and uh, a thrill to drive. A, a beautiful car. And I just. Uh, uh, I, I certainly wish I still had it. That's that, that's a fact. So, what do you have in your collection these days? Oh, I've got all kinds of stuff. Mainly, you know, I, I, I've kind of at one point in time, I started collecting cars that I thought were all you know, race cars, especially that I thought were really cool, and I had a lot of uh, really great Porsches at over a, at a certain point in time. But I've really gotten back to kind of my roots. I have uh, today. In fact, I'll have it. At, I'll have them at Sebring. Um, uh, some of my first race cars that I drove in my career, early in my career. And uh, so I'm kind of collecting those cars that really emotionally meant something to me, um, uh, you know, particularly now. Uh, when I look back, uh, when I first started racing, uh, you know, I have a couple Lolas I have, uh, which were sports racing cars built in England. That, that I, When I drove in 1973 and 74, I, I have the, the very same car, same one. The same, my first Formula Atlantic car that I raced in 1975, I own. And, you know, these were kind of the cars that got me on my way. And so I, I have a real attachment to them. And, um, you know, I love the, I love the Porsches and I love, I mean, these are all fabulous cars, the 4GT, obviously. But I really, I really do kind of, uh, like, uh, these cars that meant something to me early in my career and even during my career. Because there's that there's that emotional connection to them that I don't get, you know, buying a car that I didn't uh, drive at some point in time. So, so it's kind of changed the collection over the years, but uh, it's still it's you know I still love cars and it's a lot of fun to collect them. Now you were influenced by your dad. I did a little research. Your father's name was Mike Rahal, correct? Right. Right. That's correct. And he raced. Uh, in fact, I found, and it, was, it took a while. You know, have, you always have to look around a little bit on the internet. But I guess the article went something like this: His first car was a TR2, a Triumph. That's and correct, yeah. and then he got into a hundred uh, uh, an Austin Helio one hundred which was an LM which is the Le Mans which had the hot the hot little motor in it which I'm familiar with those cars because my first car was a big Healy it was an MK three three thousand and uh, and then he got into uh, I think it was an Alpha or something like that and correct a Spider right. yeah and then then he got into really more he was in production cars like the Alpha for a little bit and then in the early sixties he he got into sports racing cars and uh, Cooper and and Elva and Porsche, you know, he ran at Sebring um, from 1969 through 1971. 
uh, and that's what, uh, and of course, at that time I was uh, in my teenager years, um, and so uh, I mean it was great. It was just great to be involved in uh, in those uh, uh, in those in those years with the uh, with you know with these great cars, and I mean it's uh, uh, it was a, I, I feel very fortunate that I was able to witness those years firsthand because uh, they I, you know racing is great today. Uh, but and I think that's why we all like vintage car racing because I think in the '60s and particularly the '60s, when you see how motor racing and the cars and what have you evolved in, in one decade, it really it really went and when it went from almost the you know um, very underpowered cars to cars that had way too much power and uh, in ten short years and so that was a, a tremendous decade and I think that's uh, like I said I was I felt very fortunate to be able to really witness it firsthand. Well, like your dad, uh, whatever happened to the 906 that your dad raced? He raced that in 69, 70, 71, and 72, correct? Uh, no, in 71 was the last year. Oh, 71. Now, that, that's uh, a very we, rare we saw, car. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's, it's in Germany. Um, and I, don't, I think it was crashed several times after we had the car. And <clears throat> from all accounts, it's, there's not much original you know, left in the car. So... Uh, uh, so it's, uh, it, but it's in Europe and in, in Switzerland or Germany, one of the two. And, uh, you know, every now and then I, I, uh, I, uh, try to find out who's got it to talk to the fellow, but I never quite get around to it. Well, what's interesting too, is just like you mentioned is you look at the cars and let's just say the 904s and 906s and some of those cars, most people aren't familiar, but a lot of the 906s came with six cylinders, but they were had a, for, Porsche had their experimental V8s that they slid in certain cars for certain races and they had the 908s, right. the 910s and so forth. But you look at that car and then you go all the way up to the 917 under five liters and we're talking 1500 horsepower. That's, that's kind of the analogy or the extreme that you're talking about. And, but still. Those cars were a handful, and that's when men were men, and it was driver drivers that got the feedback from the car, from being on the racetrack, that would give that information to the to the builders, and that way they can kind of get an uh, idea to get the cars, you know, kind of balanced and 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 you know get the drivability under control. Whereas today, you know, it's the technology that. You know, everything comes back to a computer. They just go in, they pop in a laptop, and and yeah. and so you're right. That's why people, I think, gravitate towards the vintage cars because that's when you, the driver and the mechanic, had more of a relationship and more, and you were you, the driver, were more in control. And the cars had a feel to them. They had character. They had, they had. Well, uh, I think, yeah. No, and there's no question. I mean, today, I mean, I think ultimately you still have to drive the car. Right. Um, but you know, in those years, um, you never really saw very young drivers uh because uh experience was uh vital uh and the only way you got experience was by doing a lot of races mm -hmm. and that took time um today uh with the you know the data acquisition systems on the cars um you can you can short circuit that learning curve shortcut i should say that learning curve tremendously and so that's why you see um you know, guys running Indy cars at 20 years old, 21 years old, Formula One, the same thing. Um, you know, ultimately, it's you want to today. You want a really high, a really talented young kid who's got great stamina, who's got great bravery, and who can keep it on the racetrack. And you know, with all the data that you you collect, you can figure out what um, you know you know what you need to do to the car. Uh, in in the old days, uh, the the, the the great drivers were the ones who could convey to their chief mechanic exactly what the car what the car was doing mm -hmm. 
and and uh, you know, and it wasn't as certainly wasn't as scientific, but uh, ultimately, uh, it was about you know communicating what the car needed to do, and having a guy, a chief mechanic, who kind of could kind of you know take that and and run with it, and uh, and uh, you know, and and that's why there were certain drivers that were highly sought after, like Bruce McLaren and others, uh, Jack Brabham, uh, Jim Hall. Uh, Guys like that, Roger Penske, people who, um, people who, you know, uh, had the ability to not just communicate, but actually had some mechanical sense, right. and uh, and that's why those guys were very successful at the time. And so it was, it, it was a different era, to be sure. Well, now that brings up uh, your son, your son Graham. Now he's racing. When he started, did you? How did his? Uh, I'm sure you're a firm believer in, like, just like you mentioned, let's say we'll start out you know, in increments, and we'll start out, let's say, with go-karts, and then we'll get into right. maybe some Formula Atlantic or Formula V or, or, and work his way up in the ropes. So is that kind of right. how you had uh, Graham proceed? Yeah, I mean, he, he started in go-karts, uh, uh, which is really uh, uh, much more developed today than, it, say, it was in my era, uh, where you had car- there was karting, but it was uh, pretty... Uh, you know, amateurish, and <laughs> yeah. you, you hardly ever you hardly ever saw it. And now today, if you look at uh, any top Formula One driver and most of the top IndyCar drivers, uh, they were all successful carters uh, from the time they were nine, eight, nine, ten years old. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, Graham went into IndyCars at eighteen. I was twenty-nine when I got in IndyCars, and uh, and you know, I started racing when I was twenty. Well, 20 years old, he started at about nine years old in carts. So, you know, it was the same number of years, you know, 9 to 18 for him, 20 to 29 for me. But now he's 20. You know, his, the experience level he has is far greater than it was for me uh, at an early age. And, and as a result, uh, these young guys like him uh, really have a, a real uh, uh, advantage over, uh, you know, the older guys. And certainly over people, you know, in my era when you did start uh, as late as you did. Um, but that's the way it is now. And uh, and karting is such a great training ground for, for young drivers. And uh, as I say, you look at anybody who's a winner or a champion or halfway competitive, and they all spent time in karts. Now, did Graham do uh, um, uh, hard surface and dirt surface, or did he just do hard surface? Carton. No, just hard, just road, just you know, car, road road courses. Mm-hmm. Places like in Jacksonville, Florida, has got a good car track, and of course, Homestead. They race uh, uh, at the Homestead track in the parking lot. They they, they make a track, um, but no, it was all all the road racing stuff, and and I think that's probably more relevant um, to what you're going to do later on, anyway. So uh, that's where everybody tends to go. Mm-hmm. So what what was your, the actual first racing car that you uh, got behind the wheel in? Well, I actually I own it. The first car I ever drove um, it was a 1964 Elva Porsche, which I own today. It was my father's car. He raced it in 1966 to 68. Uh, he sold it to a fellow who kept the car with us. We had a, a garage that we turned into a kind of a racing garage. And uh, in 1970, my dad he used to go to Canada to race every once in a while because it was like going to England in those days. And uh, we got up there to the track, and they had a novice race. And the only the only qualifying factor was the, was just that you could not have done a race before. 
it didn't matter what kind of car you had or or, or what. But the, the the whole thing was if you'd never driven in a race before, you were you you you'd qualify. And then uh, of course in the United States in those days, uh, uh, you could not race till you're 21. And 1970, I was 17. So I uh, we got up to the track and uh, he said, Hey, do you want to do the, the the novice race? And uh, you know I said, Well, sure. You know why? Who wouldn't, right? Mm-hmm. And in Canada, they were a lot looser about the <laughs> the age. So you didn't have, to have you, any kind of race. As long as you could sign your name, you were good. Okay. <laughs> uh, and so uh, off I did this race, my first ever race in that car, and, and I think it was around May of 1970. And uh, and uh, my, as I say, my dad had raced it in '66 through '68, so it had been a little bit of a, a family heirloom of sorts. And uh, and uh, uh, about uh, uh, probably about ten years ago, I tracked it down. Uh, bought it from a guy from uh, Jacksonville, a, a, a great restorer of, of particularly of Porsche racing cars in Naples, in the Naples, Florida area. He restored it for me and did a beautiful job. And uh, and I have the car to this day and, and drive it occasionally. So uh, that was my first ever race. Well, that's super. Okay. And then how did you get into open? What lured you to open wheel cars? You know, that the Elva is a closed car. You know, it's a small sports car, basically. And, and, right. And uh, for our listeners, an Elva basically is like a like a Lola. You could buy or a Chevron. You can just buy a chassis and then put whatever uh, uh, power plant in it you want. So it could have had like a right. Porsche, Cosworth engine or Porsche or whatever. So, but at any rate, so then you got into what lured you to the open wheel? Uh, well, I wanted races. to go to Formula One. My goal was Formula One. Okay. And um, and at the time, uh, in 1975, I graduated from college, and in college, I'd met uh, a couple people. That would play major roles in my career. One was a fellow named Steve uh, Eline, who was from Milwaukee, uh, from the Schlitz Brewing family, and he agreed to buy a race car. He was in my class. He loved cars, and uh, he loved racing, and so he agreed to buy a race car. And, and, in, and while I was racing uh, in amateur racing, I'd met Jim Truman, who started the Red Roof Inn hotel chain. Oh, okay. And, uh, and Jim, uh, who was a, a very successful amateur racer in his own right, Agreed uh, uh, to sponsor me, and um, so when I graduated from college in '75, I thought, "What the heck? What's one year out of my life?" You know, I had won an SCCA championship in '74 uh, in our Lola, and I thought, "What's you know, what's one year out of my life?" You know, I want to try to make it. Formula Atlantic was the place to go in those days, and uh, so off we went. And um, so you know, I ran Atlantic for a couple of years and raced in Europe in Formula Three and Formula Two. Did I did do two Grand Prix uh, in 1978, uh, the U.S. and Canadian Grand Prix, and so my goal, so Formula car, open wheel cars, is where I, I wanted to go, and um, and a- after uh, after uh, uh, the uh, you know after my foray in Europe, I came back, ran a Can Am series, uh, won a won a race or two, and and did well in that series, and. Um, and, and back to Jim Truman in 1981, uh, he came to me and he said, uh, if you're smart, you'll say yes to everything I say. <laughs> and so uh, he said, I will, I'll put up the money to go race. you gotta buy, You got to find the people to buy the engines and the cars. Uh, and I want to go to Indy. I want to start our own team. And so we started True Sports. And, of course, the rest is history. Our first year, I, I was Rookie of the Year. I won two races, two of the ten races. And, and of course, four years later, we won Indianapolis. So uh, I, my Formula One dream kind of went to the wayside, but I became very successful in Indy cars and, and uh, uh, never, never regretted uh, you know, uh, making that change for a moment. 
Super. Now, I read somewhere that you did a little brief stint with uh, NASCAR. Tell us about that a little bit, because we got some big NASCAR fans out there, too. Yeah, I... Uh, of course, I uh, later on I, I I was good friends with Dale Earnhardt Jr. and got to know a lot. You know, Rusty Wallace got to know a lot of guys because I ran the IROC series for I don't know three or four years and um, finished third in the series a couple times, won a couple races. Uh, I think Waltrip was in the. You know, I got to know Daryl uh, Waltrip uh, during that time, and you know, still. I have you know friendships there that came from that, but in in 1984 in IndyCar, I was sponsored by 7-Eleven, and the Woods Brothers were sponsored by 7-Eleven. Buddy Baker was their driver, but there was only they were only doing a part-time schedule, and uh, so I, I'm not quite sure. I think maybe I kind of pushed these guys, but I think in the end they they, they weren't planning on going to Riverside for the last uh, NASCAR race of the season, and I said, hey, why don't you know let's do it and I'll drive the car, and so. Um, uh, the 7-Eleven folks said, yeah, okay, that sounds like a great idea. So um, off I went and uh, had a wonderful time. The Woods family are just a tremendous bunch of people, uh, you know, historic, legendary people, but just a nice family. And, uh, you know, I got to know Glenn and Leonard real well and Eddie and uh, just a really nice group of people. And, um, uh, you know, I think we qualified like 20th out of 43 and I first time, but the car broke about, I don't know, maybe half a quarter of the way through the race. And that was the end of my uh, NASCAR experience. <laughs> okay. And you also raced IMSA for a while, too. What, late 70s, early 80s? Yeah, I raced, I raced quite a bit of IMSA. Uh, when I came back from Europe, from Formula 2 and Formula 1, I, um, I uh, you know, wanted to make I wanted to, you know, I needed, I needed a job. So I went to Daytona at the end of 79. I just started meeting people and... Uh, and, uh, you know, thought, you know, just to introduce myself and say, hey, I'm interested. And, you know, if there's an opportunity uh, to drive, you know, your car. And, of course, I, you know, my dad had raced at Sebring, as we already discussed. So I had a lot of, there was a lot of history there for me. And um, and so I got to meet some people. And, um, and you know, we uh, were able to put uh, a season, uh, part season together in 1980. And then in '81, of course, we we I was able to, to do that, and um, we won with Brian Redman, uh, won the 24 Hours of Daytona, and uh, you know then I you know of course I was doing IndyCar racing right about that time too, so my schedule was pretty full. I I drive IndyCars and I drive um, IMSA, and I would drive uh, uh, IMSA cars. And because I felt that it was you know to me the a great judge of a driver was the guy who could win and. In all different, you know, uh, disciplines. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so, and so, I wanted to to uh, to do that, and, and we were, you know, pretty successful. And Emsa won a number of races. Won Sebring in '87, uh, as I said, Daytona in '81, and several other uh, several other races. Uh, uh, you know, in the in the meantime, and yeah, you know, just I, I just loved endurance racing. So, uh, what kind of car were you driving uh, in yeah. the Emsa back then? Well. Initially, it was the 935 Porsche. Okay. Uh, you know, 911. Right. 911 based uh, Two uh, chassis car. car. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, tremendously fast in a straight line. A, a ton of it, like about 800 horsepower. Mm-hmm. Uh, really good brakes. They weren't the best handling cars in the world, but, you know, they were the best car racing at the time. And then we switched over to uh, uh, a Porsche 962. Oh, wow. Which was, 
which was certainly a great car, mm-hmm. and uh, which cheap- we'll have a number of this weekend, at, at, or this, uh, this coming, uh, at, you know, first weekend of December. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll have about, right now I think we're going to have five or six uh, 962s uh, in the race, okay. which is a great number. And uh, so people who come to the, come to the races are going to see some really fantastic cars. Um, and I also drove March, uh, March Chevrolet, uh, had some success with that. Mm-hmm. So in the end, it uh, you know even though I I didn't focus on it 100 percent because I had Indy cars, uh, IMSA was still something that I was very uh, very interested in. Uh, hang on just a second, I got to make a little announcement real quick, and we'll be right back. Uh, in case you guys are tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, we are live here in Clearwater at the Tan Talk Radio Network, AM 1340, and our special guest this evening is Bobby Rahal. Okay, we're talking three-time car champion, 1986 Indy 500 car winner team owner and co-founder of Legends of Motorsports. Okay, Bobby, we're right back. <laughs> that was a quickie. Okay, that was. <laughs> um, at any rate, okay, so um, if you want, yeah, let's go ahead and talk about Legends of Motorsports a little bit. This is a new, because I know you, I didn't, I, we'll see how much time we got. You know, we got about, uh, oh, it's about 15 minutes yet. But uh, before we get into that, now you, you headed up the uh, BMW um, uh, GT class for, um, that's your racing team that you have right now, right? The racing right, the a- right. and a- American Le Mans series, right? Right, right. And the, the, uh, you, you guys won the championship. The in, yeah, we entered the series in '09, mm-hmm. and this year won the uh, championship, uh, the manufacturers championship, and the team championship uh, for BMW and for ourselves. So that was um, very satisfying. Had some. I mean, that's a very tough series uh, racing against Corvette and Ferrari and Porsche, amongst others, and. Uh, so we were very pleased. Uh, BMW was pleased, which is good. And, uh, you know, I think uh, we're, we'll be back again uh, this next uh, March at Sebring. Um, to, we, didn't, we were second and third there this year, so we have one, one more place to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's great racing, and, you know, as I say, I love you – know, everybody, everybody looks to me as, uh, you know, it's all IndyCar racing. But, you know, early in my career, it was always uh, – Sports cars. It was always, uh, you know, sports car racing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, being involved with the ALMS and, and races like Sebring is uh, very much, you know, kind of a, a part of my life and, um, and uh, you know, a very important part of my life, I should add. Mm-hmm. Are you brand loyal to any type of a car? I'm just curious. I mean, you well, have a heart that deep down, a car, a brand is deep down in your heart is your, like, your, your favorite kind of car. Or can you say well, that because you're sponsored? You know, I think I think you know. I also have a number of automobile dealerships. Well, that's true. Yeah, uh, and you know, uh, some Mercedes, BMW, you know, Lexus, uh, um, Jaguar, you know, uh, thank, Range Rover, Land Rover. Thankfully, all the good ones. Um, you know, yeah. So I've always enjoyed Porsches. I've always enjoyed. I mean, BMWs. I've been a, my first, my second car ever was a BMW. Um, so was it a 2002 by so, any chance? Uh, it was a 2002. Yep, everybody had so, one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, I mean, it was, uh, yeah, and a great car. Yeah, and, supercar. I had a couple of them. And so, and so I, uh, you know, I, I, yeah, I'm partial. I'm partial to BMW just because I had, you know, again, I had that emotional attachment to them. But I, I enjoy all. I mean, I think, I think there's so many great cars out there today that it's, it's you know, it's hard. Yeah, I, I think every brand uh, has an attraction in and of itself, and, and those attractions, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
you know, meet um, individuals' uh, needs. And I think it's, you know, you can't say there's bad, a bad car, as I said. So, I, you know, I, I like them all, I guess, is probably the best, the best answer. Okay. All right, let's talk a little bit about um, the uh, Legends of Motorsports. Tell us a little bit about that, and let's get some of our listeners familiar with that so we can push that a little bit for you. Well, the... the uh, how did it all come about? Uh, yeah, we, we started, well, three of us started it about two years ago, or a little over a year. Um, uh, we, uh, excuse me, I'm, <laughs> I'm babysitting my my granddaughter, so you can hear some noise in the background. That's, That's okay. Her. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but in any event, um, uh, you know, we, a number of us, uh, Zach Brown and, uh, and another fellow named Peter Peter Stoneberg, uh, you know, we've gone to these great races in Europe, uh, like Goodwood, uh, amongst others. And we, we've been to the Monterey Historics, which is the, the biggest race, historic race in this country, uh, by a long shot. And, uh, you know, we thought that we could, you know, we could create a series that really kind of catered to the, the cars you don't see every day, mm-hmm. uh, at, at your everyday uh, historic race. And, um, and what I mean by that is we wanted to focus on the Can-Am series and the Trans-Am series and uh, Formula One and two-liter sports cars and uh, uh, what we call big bore production, you know, the, the Corvettes and the Mustangs and the Cobras and, and what, you know, the cars that really kind of stir people's soul. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so we, we thought, well, let's, you know, let's create a series that really kind of caters to the participant, gives them plenty of track time. Um, you know, the, you know, try to raise the level of entertainment for both the, the participants and the spectators. Uh, in other words, when I say entertainment, I mean just the way the cars are placed in the paddock, um, the way uh, 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 you know there's hospitality for the participants, which you never really see in most events. Um, where the spectators can get into the paddock areas and see the cars up close and in a very personal way, uh, where the drivers, as I said, get a lot of track time because everybody complains about a lack of track time. Uh, so, you know, you start adding all those things up, and that's what we try to, you know, all the things that, that kind of frustrate people and things that we see at, at races in Europe, uh, we wanted to we wanted to incorporate all that together and uh, and get rid of the frustration get a, get a, a scenario where people really enjoy being a part of it as drivers and teams and then really put on a great show and great effort for our spectators and uh, it's been a lot of fun um, you know we've started out slowly but uh, we've got a I mean we've had some fantastic cars at some of these at our races we've had the historic Grand Prix cars at, at two of our three events so far this year. We've had a great turnout for Can-Am cars. Uh, we, at Sebring, as I said, we're going to have probably six, 15, 16 uh, GTP Group C cars, which is the Porsche 962, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Mark Chevrolets, that kind of stuff. And, and you don't see that. I mean, you just don't see those cars on a, on a regular basis. So mm-hmm. we're, um, we're really pleased to, the, the guys who own those cars are willing to share them, you know, with us uh, because they really are museum pieces in many ways. And, to get these guys to come out and and uh, you know put them through their paces, it's you know I mean it, it's not cheap, and so we have uh, we have a lot of we have a lot of appreciation for what they're doing. 
And that's what a lot of the um, people don't realize is that vintage racing, you know, it's one thing if you go to an SCCA event and you've got a car that you've kind of fixed up and you've just run around the track and you get a Mustang or an old 911 or you get, might have an MGB or a Triumph TR4 or 6 or whatever. And, right. But we're talking serious cars, serious ground pounders, serious history. These are cars that race, like I mentioned earlier. You know, we're talking Le Mans winning cars. We're talking Daytona winning cars, Sebring. We're talking right. Laguna Seca. Exactly. These are the cars, just like you said, they're museum-quality cars that these people yeah. take on the track and with great care, I might add, run these cars and put these cars through the paces, yourself included, you know. So uh, yeah. I've always been impressed. Hard. You know, this is no parade. Mm-hmm. I mean, they... Uh, they race them uh, very, very hard, and you know, like, you know, by themselves. And then here they are, they're rubbing fenders. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes these guys are like, it's like, geez, guys, you know, let's uh, calm down here. But uh, it's, you know, it's all of they have a tremendous love for the for the cars they own, most of which are very historic. And the great thing, as I say, is that they're willing to share these these wonderful cars with. But all of us, and it really is like a living museum in many ways. And that's that's the other thing about it, too. It comes alive, just like you said. I remember one of the vintage races when I was driving. I remember the chief steward comes out, and he gave us, a, before at the driver's meeting, he mentioned, he says, listen, guys, this is vintage racing. History has already been set. We know what the precedent is. We know who won, okay? So go out there, have a good time. Just, but just remember, you know, you're not out there racing. You're having a good time, you know. But I know, that's but, right. but that's hard to tell that to a to an ex race car driver because because <laughs> that's in, what I tell. Yeah, that's gets, what I tell our guys that our drivers, and I say, guys, Roger Penske is not going to hire any of you. So <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, I don't care how how good you drive, you're not going to get hired by Roger. So therefore, don't don't uh, you know don't, don't hurt anybody. Overdo it. Yeah. Don't uh, you know. We have a you and I have another mutual friend, uh, Archie Urcioli. Archie's a great friend and a great supporter of our series. Mm-hmm. Um, has great cars. Mm-hmm. Has a, a GT40. He's raced his Lolo T70 with us a, a number of times. Uh, Archie's uh, a wonderful guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was down at his house here not too long ago in Casey Key, and he. Uh, I, he let me tour around his little collection of fine, fine cars. He's got that uh, yeah, that yeah. 300 SL in there. He's got the, yeah. the convertible D, and he's just and the the Maserati and some really, really neat stuff in there. And, yeah, and he's the got one BMW that used to be mine. You know, oh, really? Archie and yeah, Archie and Archie and Archie is a huge supporter. I don't mean just by having um, his cars, but he spends so much time you know supporting events and being involved. I mean, he's just an absolute class act. Yeah, I know, and he's on. There's, if you ever go to like YouTube, you know, and you ever hear his interviews, he's always a big proponent of of, of vintage racing, and in, in fact, yes, your yes. organization too. Now, so that's good. Yes, yes. So, uh, what? So, so, which cars are you going to be driving here at this event? I'm going to be driving a, a little uh, Brabham BT29, which okay. is a Formula car from 1970. Mm-hmm. Uh, before wings came into fashion, that's a they're just a beautiful little race car, 1600 cc. Yeah, you know, they probably have a top speed of about 135 or so, but they're just great cars. Uh, so I'll be driving that. I'll be driving a Lotus 23, uh, which was one of the real first sort of giant killers. Uh, they were started, you know, the, the production run started in 1962 and went to 1965. They were a lot of great drivers in the 60s got their starts in Lotus 23s. Um, I have a Chevron B16, which is probably one of the most beautiful race cars ever built. And as you might know, Brian Redman is our grand marshal mm-hmm. uh, right. for uh, the weekend. And Brian is just a, a real hero of mine. 
and um, and he made uh, a lot of history and success in Chevron B16s uh, early in his career, or probably in the middle of his career, I guess. And so he's going to drive my B16. So we'll have a guy who is really synonymous with the man, with the mark, you know, with Chevron cars, and mm-hmm. he'll be driving it. And uh, that that'll be that, that's all I can do. But um, we'll we'll have uh, just a great selection of uh, of cars across the board by people. Uh, okay, so uh, some really exciting cars. Now, what exactly there? Um, I was talking to Erin, and she was very, very, very pleasant on the phone. She got a great mm-hmm. publicist there, and she was telling me you got some other stuff going on in downtown Sebring. So, tell us a little bit about what that's going to be. Entailed. Well, there, there's a there's a, a, a uh, on Friday night, I believe, there's a uh, uh, a parade uh, surrounding the event and uh, and the town of Sebring. Of course, uh, tech inspection and what have you. We'll be bringing the cars. Into uh, into Sebring, driving the race cars on the road. Uh, unfortunately, the police will be escorting us. But uh, okay. Oh, you'll, uh, so you'll actually be driving. It'll be, it'll be a great chance for people to come downtown Sebring, and they're all the cars, just like they used to do. You know, they used to have tech inspection uh, in in the in the town, and so everybody would drive you know drive in from the racetrack. So that'll be exciting, and there's just going to be a lot of uh, great activities. And Sebring is a Fabulous circuit, and they're very supportive of what we're doing. So we're 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 pumped. We're excited. I was talking to uh, back in the day. Um, the Ford dealership there was owned by it was called Blackman Ford, and mm-hmm, Jim Blackman right. uh, was a friend of mine. And he used to tell me how back in the day when Carroll Shelby used to roll in with his big rig and all his cars. That's exactly what they would do. They would pile up over at the dealership. They would get the cars all ready. They would take the cars out and then drive them from there to the racetrack. Right. And uh, yep. so that. That's that's amazing. Now, are you guys going to do yeah. a Le Mans start for any of their races? No, like, we won't. We won't do any. Our guys are like our cars. You know, most of them are older. And, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, we, we have. Uh, well, there are limitations, but uh, but we will have an enduro on uh, Saturday, uh, which will be about an hour, hour and a half long, mm-hmm. and then we'll have a number of other races on top of it. Um, you know, right now we've uh, we've got about a hundred and we'll have probably around one hundred twenty-five. Entries, um, so we'll have good good. We have about thirty cars, or maybe even a little over thirty, in our what we call Thunder and Lightning, which are the old Stingray Corvettes, Mustang GT 350s, AC Cobras, that kind of stuff. So, okay, that should be a great race, and and uh, it, it's going to be a tremendous weekend. And hopefully, the weather will be good for us. And uh, love a good turnout. I think every I think everybody will have a great time. Now, what do the uh, the people that want to come down? What would the admission fees be to uh, come down to the event? Uh, the admission fees for the three days forty five bucks. Okay. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Okay. For uh, for uh, let's say say Sunday only is twenty five dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you can also do a track touring uh, where we allow the the cars. If you bring your car, you get to behind a pace car. You get to. Uh, Drive on the track. Do a couple a couple laps around the track during the middle of the day. Okay. Uh, you know that's going to be um, thirty dollars for a day, fifty for two, and sixty five for all three. Okay. And then we have a, a car corral. We've invited a number of uh, automobile clubs, car clubs, Porsche club, Jaguar club, um, you know, BMW club, you name it. Mm-hmm. So if you have one of those cars, uh, you can bring it, and uh, and uh, for fifty five bucks, it includes a three day ticket for the person, their car corral parking, access to the hospitality tent, and track touring. So that's a pretty good deal. And then, uh, of course, uh, uh, children, uh, 
children uh, uh, under, uh, I think it's under 15, are free, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. So super. It's, uh, you know, it's, it, it, the great thing about historic racing is it is a family sport. Um, yeah, but I love to see our you know, grandfathers with their granddaughters and grandsons in their arms walking down the paddock area explaining to them what, why this car was famous or that car was famous. And it really is a family activity, and so uh, I really encourage, as I say, it's like a museum uh, come alive. And so I, 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 uh, so I wish, uh, I hope we get a good uh, participation uh, by families because it's really, I think it's such a great family sport. Well, I, t- I know I'm telling everybody, and they can go to the website, and the website is called Legends of Motorsports, correct, Bobby? Correct. Legendsofmotorsports.com. And you can get all the information you need. So I expect everybody, all my listeners, all my friends, everybody I know, I want you guys to be there. This is December 3rd, 4th, and 5th to participate, spectate, watch, enjoy the Legends of Motorsport races at uh, Sebring. And that is a very historic race. The track's been around since the late 40s. And officially, what, 5051 was the race track, first track, right? That's correct. That's okay. correct. It used to be a, a, a training base for B 17 bomber pilots in World War II. Okay. Well, Bobby, I just got my uh, minute and a half warning here. So I want to thank you, Bobby Rahal, for coming on Nostalgic Radio and Cars. This is the best show. And I look forward to seeing you here at Sebring in a couple of weeks, okay? Well, well, thank you. And thanks for spreading the word. We think it's going to be a great weekend. And uh, look forward to uh, to meeting everybody. And, and, uh, you know, come one, come all, as they say. Okay. Thank you very much. Have a good, safe trip down here in Florida, and we'll see you then. Everybody else, Thank thanks you. for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Be sure and tune in next week, 7, a, or what is it, 7 in the evening, right? 7 to 8 on the Tan Talk Radio Network, AM 1340. And I expect to see everybody at the races. And we're headed to Naughty Nancy's, okay, for live mic night. Thanks for listening. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. As most of you know, I'm in the car business, and often I need cars towed. Well, Kotaka's Towing has all the trucks and equipment to meet your needs. Whether it's long distance, short distance, or just around the corner, they can get it done. Kotaka's Towing, located at 1141 Court Street in Clearwater. Also, they have a full-service repair and body shop to meet all your automotive needs. So give my friends Lefty and Joey a call at Kotaka's Towing at 727-447-1952. And be sure to mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you might get a discount.